Man, sometimes it's hard down at Enfield Tennis Academy. You got finals, you got competition every day. Boo Boo won't shut up about how sad you seem. The moms is on your ass. And then one day the ONANTA urinalysis man comes by. And all your fun is done. The Whataburger would have been mine, but I got high. I would have beat John Wayne to the line, but I got high. Now I'm surrounded by heads and bodies, and I know why. Hey, cause I got high. Because I got high. Because I got high. I'm gonna disappoint the moms, cause I got high. Indecisive at the eschatons, because I got high, high, high. Now I'm swallowing DMZ, and I know why. Hey, cause I got high. And I can't get high, now I can't get high I was gonna scream for help, because I got high My inner infant needed to be held, because I got high Now I'm singing Ethel Merman, I know why Because there is no business like show business Oh damn, I'm screaming on the inside Yet all they can hear is 2004 one-hit wonder Afro Man's Because I Got High. Truly, this is the saddest of all timelines. I wish I'd jumped in and stopped Aunt Kitten Plan when I had the chance. Why? Because I, I got high. I'm really uncomfortable with you guys speaking to me like this. I'm going to... Oh, God, there's heads and bodies all around me. They're laughing and they're ooing and they're judging me. Can't they tell that I am an intelligent creature and I know exactly what I am saying? I've read the, di- the dictionary 37 times. Uncle CT, stop fucking your sister and help me out here. I'm your nephew, son, maybe. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of I Hate Infinite Jest Podcast. It is episode 27. And guys, we are in the home stretch. We only have five more episodes of this show before we complete Infinite Jest. Where will it end? Will it be hated? Probably a little. (laughs) Yeah, it's... uh, we're really rounding a corner on this. By the way, before we get too long, um, last week was interesting. <laughs> was it not? Yeah, I had a million things go wrong all at once. Just, uh, <laughs> I had been, I, I'd been writing a, uh, one of my write-ups on SteelRingPost.com for AEW Wrestling. I'd been writing that late Saturday night, and a... An evil, bricking uh, Mac update that had been trying to work its way through for months. Well, this was the first time that computer had been plugged in late at night, and so it went through. So I spent a good, I spent a good deal of the last week just trying to fix that goddamn computer. Uh, thank you to Apple support, and fuck you to Apple as a whole for even trying to force through a fucking update on a 12-year-old computer that was not prepared for it. 
So I was trying to figure out what to do that, and then my guest just bailed out at the last. Uh, di- didn't even tell me. Like, just blocked me. Like we were. Get, I was setting up to record. It was two minutes after our scheduled time. I said, "All right, man, you ready?" And I'm in the middle of texting. I said, "You can no longer message this person." And I say, oh, "That's that's kind of funny." And then he just blocked me. Um. Oh God. Somebody. I think it was Daryl Ductwork on Reddit took uh took umbrage with something I said in there because I made fun of this guy because he was like a very leftist candidate who basically ran as like a spoiler to fuck over Democrats and uh he wasn't wrong I came across bad it's guys I I consider myself a leftist for God's sake but but uh one of the discussions that was happening in my life off the microphone was amongst me and my girlfriend. By the way, my guest is my girlfriend tonight because another one of my guests bailed out at the last minute. Uh, Dalton Pruitt of the Loud Boys podcast. I think he was on episode eight or nine. Um, no bad feelings there. No bad feelings at all. Uh, I knew going into this that he, he agreed to do it, but I knew he was going to be in Georgia with his family at the time, and apparently he, he found himself in a place with no steady signal of any kind and i'm gonna i'm gonna take him at his word because he we got friends in common and he's funny as fuck and he was great on the episode we had him just i knew this was gonna happen at some point and it's just all happening at the end everything's just getting fucked up one after another oh but anyway so um yeah the, the discussion we've been having in our house we've had a lot of leftist friends who uh very big into le- it, it's that punk rock bullshit. We'll do an episode on punk rock one day because, God, punk rock ideals are just so dumb to me. If anything, they're more dumb than mainstream ideals because you're you're taking being an individual and you're putting all this fucking you're codifying it in such a way. You're you're codifying your shitty behavior because a dude with a fucking nose ring told you to dork and it's worn as fashion by a lot of these guys so me and my fiance we've had a lot of people in our ring who were like you know i'm just not voting 2020 i can't yeah i just can't vote for that and uh so yeah i've always been really big on just pointing out like hey i love leftist ideals but guess what uh, your ideas don't mean anything if you can't convince other people. And judging by the way you talk about and down to other people, it seems to me like you are really doing this as a fashion statement because anything you could do to get it done, you have no strategy. You have nothing. So that's it. Like the fucking Bernie bros. Like, guys, I'm sorry. I, I voted for Bernie in the primaries, but... uh if he if you can't get him to the dance, you can't. I I'll, I'll agree he got fucked over in 2016. He got fucked over in 2016 by Hillary Clinton and the machine. But guys, 2020 just he didn't. It, Biden won this by a squeaker. If you think you know working class Democrats in Wisconsin and Michigan were gonna vote for Biden, you're fucking wrong. You are really, really fucking wrong. So that was my criticism I was having of this guy. Whereas Daryl took place. You're trying to make it seem like uh, you know healthcare for all is a bad thing. Like no, no, no. It's a good thing. It would just be nice if somebody with a degree in economics said it. And not, you know, a fucking LSD dealer. 
because that's that's what a lot of this shit is. And I hear this on like the first, I don't understand why we got to vote for these old white men. Why don't we vote for the? <laughs> I got an idea. Let's vote for the pink guy who sells me shrooms. Like, yeah, maybe I have a very good friend of mine who's very interested in politics, who runs for, you know, local seats all the time. And he also has a two foot mohawk. And buddy, how are you serious about your politics while having a mohawk still in your 30s? I love you so much, my friend. Don't look into my friends list and figure out who this is and tell him because he's a sensitive boy. Anyway. Yo, so, I'll try to wrap this up, but uh, we hit 10,000 downloads last week. I didn't say anything at the time because I was too busy screaming into the ether at that Ohio fuckboy. But yeah, we hit 10,000 downloads, and I cannot thank you guys enough for continuing to listen to this. Um, I don't want to say beyond my wildest dreams, because my wildest dreams, I'm being chased by Bigfoot, and I'm wearing a dress. But it's still, I, I've done a podcast before, shout out again to Magical Misery Tour, if you want to go back and check it out, it's still up. But uh, it is hard to get an audience, it is very hard, especially a show like this where I'm just shitting on something that people love. Not entirely, obviously I'm coming around to it, but um, yeah, 10,000 10, downloads is nothing to sneeze at, considering we've been on the air what, six months, and we only have, like, 20-some episodes? That's huge. That's a big goddamn deal. And I owe it to you guys for giving me a chance, for sticking around. Thank you so much for that. So, this is the pseudo-big announcement. We've talked before that we're going to be done Infinite Jest soon. And uh, where do we go from there a more established person might say let's just leave it where it is and go somewhere else but libsyn charges you by the podcast that you have on their server so i'd rather keep it going under something else especially since i finally have momentum for the first time as a podcaster so we will be continuing i won't tell you the name of the podcast because i don't have it trademarked yet but we're going to continue. I am going to put it up to you guys. What are ne- It's not going to be an open one. I have multiple ideas. Um, we're going to expand the podcast into more being, being critical of uh, well-beloved art and controversial art. And you know what? I might even do a few episodes just on, this is shit I love. Deal with it. Sunglasses emoji. But, so, what's going to happen is that on December 20th, we're going to have, we're going to finish up Infinite Jest. I believe we'll probably take, uh, we'll probably record a wrap-up episode where we go through some of the theories and reflect on who we are and where we've been and the journey we've come across along the way. I might take a week or so off after that to enjoy the new year, but I probably won't. After that, we're going to do a buffer episode where we shit on Napoleon Dynamite, which has always been connected to this because, God damn it, do I not like that movie? And I'm wondering if I'll like it now that I, I it's probably not as it's probably not too likely that this movie that uh, I didn't like when I was 17 and I like plenty of dumb shit when I was 17. I don't think literally double my life later i'm going to somehow come around to the whimsy of voting for pedro but after that 
we're going to go into one of two books. And it's up to you guys. I'm going to set up a poll on my Twitter or something. Better yet, you could just fucking write me at Jesse Dram. I am at Jesse Dram on Reddit now, too. I figured it was time to get rid of Diamond Joe Quim. Not trying to be dirty, y'all. Just ran out of characters. And try to streamline everything. I would turn my YouTube back to Jesse Dram, but it's just I don't want to re-upload everything. And, uh, yeah. So, I'll, I'll get around to that one day. So, as of right now, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, all Jesse Dram. And I need you guys to send me a message whether after Infinite Jest, you guys want to read through Slaughterhouse-Five or The Crying of Lot 49. Now, uh, Slaughterhouse-Five, I, I love Kurt Vonnegut. I'm fine with that. The only thing is, like, that's always been... I, that was his big book, and it's never been a favorite. I've never understood why that was his big book. Granted, I haven't read it in 10 years. I don't know. It always struck me as just a little overrated in the Kurt Vonnegut pantheon. But I definitely want to discuss Kurt Vonnegut at one point. For one thing, I love that unauthorized biography that came out from him a few years ago that revealed this, like, kindly wisdom pearl-dropping old grandfather hippie type as a very maladjusted, miserable man who hated his wife. And, uh, yeah, I, I always like seeing the idol torn down, so I wouldn't mind getting into that a little bit because that, that was fun for me. By the way, we'll do either of these at one point. It's just a matter of what to do first. Crying of Lot 49. I have never read Thomas Pinchon. Ever. Never, ne- never have I ever. I have had a threesome. I have done cocaine in Florida, but I have not read Crying of Lot 49. So I don't know what I'm into. I know Pinchon is uh, very much in the same milieu of David Foster Wallace, or at least, you know, shares the, the Venn diagram of those fanships do overlap. And uh, obviously, everyone's saying, gravity's rainbow. Uh, I I do not have it in me right now to take on another massive tome. So when I saw that, I saw it was only 150 pages. Like I can work with that. I can do a few episodes on that. So guys, send me a message or vote on the Twitter poll whether you want to do lying, lying, <laughs> the lying of Crop 49 or Flaughterhouse Slive. Uh, yeah, Slaughterhouse 5, we're crying a lot, 49, and we'll get into that. So, guys, um, I'm having my fiancé on today's episode just because I, need, I needed somebody in a pinch, and I can't go to Steve Clark all the time. God love him. Uh, still check out Dalton Pruitt shit. You know, stuff happens when it rains, it pours, and for me, it is pouring podcast guest cancellations. Perry has not read this far into the book. But I'm not going to repeat the mistake of Kevin Hufe. Uh, I'm uh, where I had him read one chapter and nothing else. She's mainly going to be here to discuss the themes. And not to mention, you know what? This might be, you know how this will be interesting? This will be interesting because now I am the guy deep, deep into Infinite Jest. And I'm going to be describing why this stuff is interesting to a girl who doesn't want to hear it but i do want to sleep with she's my fiance so i mean i hope so that would that would that was definitely in my plans when i got down on one knee (laughs) oh god 
Oh, also, I only have like 30 pages of uh, Brothers Karamazov left, and I can't, guys, I can't wait to start new books. So in addition to everything else, just tell me some books I should read. Please, send me a message on anything. Tell me what books I should read, because I am almost, as I walk towards the altar, I am finally getting divorced from the bigamy of the living in sin bigamy of Infinite Jest and Brothers Karamazov. I have all these books on the shelf that I can't wait to get. I'm going to turn around and read uh, Devils of Lovedon by Aldous Huxley. Cannot wait. The complete uh, plays of Brennan Behan. Uh, what the fuck is that? Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. My cousin Frank recommended it to me. Earth Abides. I forgot I had Earth Abides. Guys, I have so many books waiting for me i feel like i'm getting out of prison and i'm going there's gonna be all these them fat ass books like hey daddy how you want to treat me and i'm gonna treat him good guys i hate infinite jest episode 27 perry learner i know why oh, hey because i got high yeah. because i got high uh-huh. because i got high i'm gonna disappoint the moms because i got high Decessive at the Eschatons. I hate Infinite Jest, episode 27, take three. Talking to your microphone again. Hey, I'm talking. What's up? Can you guys hear this fucking person? Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties. We're having a lot of difficulties. My name is Jesse Dram. My guest on the show this week, you may remember her from Footnote, episode one. This is Water. Uh, then my lovely girlfriend, but now my lovely fiance, Miss for a little bit longer, Perry Lerner. Hi, how's it going? Uh, You've been here watching this. You know it's not going very well at all. Yeah, I mean, I was going to, you know, put up the facade that we've got everything running super smoothly and I was going to hold back on my insults towards you as I slung them at you in our first take, but now it's just not as fun. Yeah, no, we're having, we're recording on a new computer that was gifted to me by my soon-to-be father-in-law, David David, this is a nice thing you did for somebody. Put that on the Facebook group. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're having some technical difficulties. Uh, again, my guest, Dalton Pruitt, had to bail at the last minute because he is stuck in rural Georgia with no internet connection. Rural Georgia. Rural Georgia. They flip blue. I still can't believe that shit. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about this episode. The last time we did one with somebody who had not read the full book, it became our least popular episode. Uh, Kevin Hufay, who just got engaged yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Congratulations, Kevin Hufay, on the worst episode and your engagement. <laughs> well, hopefully your your listeners like me a little more. But if not, that's okay, too. If my listeners don't like you, they can fuck the fuck fucking off. Aw, that's my future husband. That's my woman. woman. You better like her, respect her literary opinions. Excuse me, your woman? Yes. (laughs) Uh, Do you not remember what I said when I got down on one knee? Perry, will you or will you not be my bitch? (laughs) For all time. Oh, my God. (laughs) No, I do not remember that. (laughs) So you haven't read this book. You haven't read this chapter. So we're going to try this episode a little differently, and yet not all that strange to the DFW universe, because what this is going to be is I am going to be a man reading David Foster Wallace at a woman and asking her opinion and why she, whether she likes it or not. 
But we're going to have a discussion just based on the themes and deal with it from there. Perry, do you have anything to promote? Um, listening to I Hate Infinite Jest on Monday. No, um, no, what, I have what, what are you what are you reading right now? Let's talk about that. Um, so I am in the middle of four books, I think. Uh, I'm reading Mythology by Edith Hamilton, which I just have been reading on and off for the past couple months. I'm reading Frankenstein. Um, Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow and um, In the Dream House, which is disturbing. What's In the Dream House about? Uh, it's about a woman who was in a... Already uninterested. Sorry. Uh, a woman who was in an abusive relationship with another woman. And it's just written very interesting prose. Um it's it's worth checking out uh and it sheds light on the uh you know abuses that the lgbtq community can face within their own relationships uh it's very interesting but yeah that's pretty much the lineup of books i'm reading at this point mm. oh and how to be anti-racist of course that's right it, that's uh who's who's the author of that um ibram x kendi Okay, I think it might it might be him it might be somebody else but i remember when we went to see cousin frank episode 6 um, it's him. It is him. That book, yeah. Co- Cousin Frank has a, a two-year-old son, and uh, oh, I'd love to say his hilarious... Let's just say his name is Fabrizio, because <laughs> it's not far off. Um, but I noticed he had on the table, he had a little book, and it's called Something the the Anti-Racist Baby, mm-hmm. which, you know what? It, it, it's a cute concept, but at the same exact time, I, I looked at that, I thought, like, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. And why Democrats lose so many elections? I could ju- I could just imagine anybody, even a little bit conservative, looking at you know, Talib, the anti-racist baby, and just going like, "Oh well, I'm voting red forever and ever." Well, I think it's good to start them young, and start teaching racism. And I was taught racism at a young yeah, age. Yeah, you you were in the pro. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I think there's something to be said about, you know, they, they, they say that, uh, you know, especially uh, black children don't have the benefit of not knowing racism. So why mm-hmm. should white children have that? True. I remember one of, one of the saddest videos I ever saw was just like a mother recording her, her daughter. Uh, <laughs> I was, on, I'll just say it anyway, daughter of color. That's what my stupid brain was going to say. But. Okay. But was recording her in her like car seat crying after getting picked up from school. And she said, what did she say, baby? She said, like, she said that she doesn't want to play with me because she doesn't like black people. The mom said, yep. Sorry, honey. That's the world. Mm. It's the saddest fucking thing it's horrible horrible and the only way out of that is is teaching them is to buy the anti-racist yeah. baby by yeah God, i keep getting his fucking name ibram x kendi i keep wanting to say talib Kweli. is that somebody yes a singer or a rapper or something yeah good job that's the modern thing like back in the day like oh they're all reverends now they're all rappers this is terrible you are just I, digging yourself joke. into that's more a of a joke. hole Honey, and hold my shovel for me Ugh. I will dig for you. There you go. All right. So let's try this fucking weird experiment as I explain this book at you. Sure. Excuse me. I just had breakfast. 774 to pages 808. We only got five more episodes. I already said that in the intro. Anyway, Kate Gompert 
has rel- relapsed. Again, Kate Gompert is a girl who's been in rehab for drugs. Terrible last name. Gompert? Do you know a Gompert? No. Mm, okay. It is still a bad just, him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she rationalizes... She's drinking in a bar. She rationalizes that she's earned it. She's just gotten mugged, has a huge black eye, and it's not like drinking was ever her problem anyway. Moreover, she's not paying for the drinks, but a man in a wheelchair named Remy Murat... So this guy's been in the background of this book all the time. So it is kind of thrilling that he's suddenly like in the main action after only seeing him plotting for so long. But now he's he also they have a copy of the film right now and they are looking for people to test it on. Gotcha. So that's looming in the background like he's going to like towards the end of this. She thinks he's like trying to get her home to sleep with her. But he's like really trying to get her home like you know what if, what what if i told you i could take you somewhere and give you ultimate pleasure she's like oh i've heard that one before but he really wants to rot her brain out with avant-garde filmmaking wait what's her poison if not alcohol or do we I find believe, that out i believe i don't remember i i think cocaine might no that's joel I think it was like hardcore downers like benzedrine and shit like that wait isn't benzedrine like speed no. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, no, it's. I don't think so. I was never big into drugs. Yeah, well, I wasn't into prescription drugs. I drank booze like a man, um, but yeah. I did street drugs. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she. We meet her very early on in the book, and we mostly deal with her being like extreme depression as a result of coming off of drugs. Okay, got it. Um, Marat tells Kate a story. That he was very depressed after he had his whole spy thing is he says he's from Switzerland instead of Quebec. Um, so after losing his legs in Switzerland, quote unquote, he's also been tormented by the pain of his people that his nation has been plundered and intimidated by neighboring nations. One day after drunkenly rolling to the top of the hill, he sees a woman wearing a steel helmet about to be hit by a truck. Without thinking, he throws his brakes, rolls down the hill and shoves her out of the way in the nick of time. In the process, he knocks her helmet off, revealing she has no skull, and the helmet was the only thing holding her eyes in place and her airways open. There's a lot of, like, toxic deformities happening in this era. Uh, He takes her to a local hospital for the deformed. There he finds she has many more problems. Digestive, decay of circulation. He also finds she wandered away from a state invalid house when he found her. When Remy saw her helpless and through his breaks was the first time he had stopped feeling bad and thinking about himself and through his pain towards helping someone else. He tried to leave her at the hospital, but hearing all her ailments could not leave her behind. He agreed with Kate that there could be no love without passion, but now he had found a new kind of love, duty, to fight knowing you will not ever win. Quote, pain rolled me backwards to this woman, my wife. Kate, initially thinking she was going to hear a sweet story about meeting his wife, is growing more disgusted by the minute. This doesn't help with the fact that he approached her saying, you remind me of my wife, dot, 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 who doesn't have a skull. And this is that mu- that that dude. This is that dude who okay. saved his wife. They're in a bar and they're talking. Uh, Remy needed this woman to choose over himself. Kate says this isn't love. You were chained to her. Remy and his wife, Gertrude, were both rolled down the aisle, and it was the happiest day of his life. She has been in a vegetative coma for over a year now, and the doctors say a Jarvik artificial heart is her only hope of survival. This is why he is going to betray his country for her to receive treatment in the U.S. 
Uh, Remy says he may be chained to her, but the chains are his choice. And though he wants to help his country, his love for Gertrude was the only thing that made his work for his country possible in the first place. Most people are wrong finding only love in something they cannot choose. He says that Kate chooses to feel good, leading to the ultimate of love, not choosing. Kate calls him an asshole, shit puddle, Swiss head. You go, girl. Remy asks what she'd say if he said three blocks away he could show her something that would make her feel better and more pleasure than she's ever had in her life. He thinks she's talking about sex, but he insists he's not hitting on her. Would she be so inclined to say yes if he was speaking the truth? She says yes. So, we've seen him, the discussions he's been having with another spy character, uh, Hugh slash Helen Steepley, who is actually one of my favorite characters in the book, because when we see him, he's like a big, gross, middle-aged dude in like a horrible drag getup, where the other guy has been pointing out, like, you're... You have stubble showing. Your tits are askew. Meanwhile, everyone else who meets this guy in the book say, like, there's something really sexy about that giant woman. And that's actually really been, like, a fun tickle throughout the book. But um, he's repeatedly gone on about how Americans have no sense of true love or responsibility to their country. And there's a whole thing here with, like, pleasure as, like, pretty much the argument he continues to make is Americans are seeking pleasure where are the real higher duties in life pleasure is not required or important okay does that make any sense yes yeah it does why are you looking at me like that <laughs> i don't know um i don't know have you ever what what would you say do you have a, a love in your life you would say was more like a duty um i mean yeah like beyond romantic love i guess or do you mean, yeah. are you well, referring no, either, to romantic either, love? Either way. I'm not going to get deep into it, but you obviously know I had an ex who had, uh, obviously I intended to talk about this with the original guest, but you and I have talked somebody who had a lot of health problems and there was like a Catholic duty type thing that kept me in a very bad relationship for a long time. Right. I mean, I think we both know the relationship I have with my dad Yeah, and that Obviously, I love him because he's my father, but there is also a sense of like needing to be his his constant emotional support. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I would say that's probably goes beyond just a typical like parent child relationship where I have to support him. Mm -hmm. Um Let's block him from this episode because yeah. he might listen. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll make sure he is. I'll make sure it's one of those things where like share with every. You know when you can do that on. You're not big on Facebook. When you can do on Facebook where you can put like, who do you want to share this with? Do you want it public? Do you want it friends only? And then you can literally pick every person I know except for this one fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. I've done that before with posts where it's just like I just don't want my mom to see this and think anything. Of yeah. It, so. Well, and you know, I haven't been in that many like serious romantic relationships. So mm -hmm. to me, that's just the first relationship that comes to mind that feels a little uh, that drains me a bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if he weren't my dad, I probably wouldn't deal with that the same way. And I've had friends in the past that I've had the same issues with that. I just feel like I, it's out of a sense of duty, but they're not in my life anymore. Yeah, well, you and I have talked about that, how I had a very 
close friend up until like god recently uh strangely enough i was very close to this person but then our relationship started falling apart so quickly that when you actually met him you thought he was like just my roommate and not something i've been friends with for a decade right and that was somebody that like i i don't want to make it seem so bad but like you know I had to drop an afternoon once to take him to, like, a, a suicide crisis center because he was doing weird shit. And even though I'm glad I helped him, in, like, retrospect, it's kind of like, you know, motherfucker, I look after you when you were ready to fucking hang yourself and now you can't text me back because you're... Right. Ugh, that's going to that, that's gonna be a weird conversation one day. Because mm-hmm. especially when you have, like, a lot of mercy for... Some, when you look at... Well, this goes into that X, too, where, like... You look after somebody for so long, and then at a certain point, it's like, oh, I've like I didn't do all this for you to do anything back for me, but you literally did like not even hold up your basic end of the fucking friendship. Right after I saved your life multiple times, you dumb asshole. And I think like a relationship where you feel a duty to them can be as simple as that, where it's just I'm putting into into this more than. I don't want to say I'm getting out of it because that sounds like like a weird Transa- exchange. It sounds transactional. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, I'm putting into this a lot of me and it's it's toxic for myself. Um, right. It's, it, I, I feel like it is to look at anything as some kind of exchange feels like to cheapen it somehow right yet at the same time you do need to ask yourself if i'm if i'm not getting anything out of this why why am i doing it because that's not just selfishness if it if you give part of yourself away it's not like you have infinite resources to pull from right that's supposed to be filled in it's it's emotional sex like i'm putting something in you you're putting something in me me you know right and i'm sure like everyone has an experience with that at some point and everyone is probably that friend at some point i'm sure i've been a lot for someone to handle and they felt like they weren't getting the same back from me and Ooh, I, have, I have a story on that one with my my buddy joseph joseph Gariffo. oh boy um this was this was within six months of my dad dying, and I just remember we'd gone out to a bar, him and a few of my friends, and he had a girl with him who was a mm, friend of ours. I know where this is going. Do I'm, you? Pr- I'm pretty sure I know the story. I don't know. Keep going. Oh, okay. Well, we all went out to a bar, and it was something. I was just, I got drunk, and I think I got shot down by some girls that night. Yeah, I did tell you this. And uh, just, I was so annoyed because I me and my buddy Joey often argued about girls just because he got them very easily and I didn't and more than a few times he snatched one away from me and just like at this bar I just got so fucking mad at him and I just started like you know I'm just fucking sick of always being this way and out of nowhere Joey's just like dude you're being a shitty fucking friend I look out for you all the time I'm sorry shit's hard for you but like knock it off and I actually started crying and I just felt like such an asshole it's like oh yeah no I really took all of this out on him and it had nothing to do with him and everything to do with me yeah well we all have different points in our lives where we need to rely on someone more than they need us and Mm -hmm. I mean that's a good friendship where you could do that but at the same time like you're not always aware of when you're being too much yes (laughs) yeah okay um 
So we're going to jump ahead to the next spot. Say we're only 18 minutes in. This is going fine. Um, oh, I left out a great line there. Uh, when, when she's hitting, when he's hitting on her, Kate randomly says, you're trying to sleep with me. And she's only had sex twice and was told she was a shitty lay and that her vagina was awful big for someone with such a tiny flat ass. Of course a man wrote this. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Okay. Hal and his brother Mario are talking. Hal admits he's been smoking high resin dope in the maintenance tunnel and goes to great lengths to hide it from people. Damn, share with me. <laughs> Only his friend Pemulus knows its true extent. Reveals that not so much Eschaton, but CT, the Dean and Hal's uncle, really wants to nail Pemulus for dosing his opponent with DMZ. DMZ is basically like a mystical LSD type thing. Um, that everyone knew. It, it makes people really docile. Like, think LSD if it was developed by the military to, like, pretty much, like, poison the enemy's water supply. Not that it kills them, but it makes them so, like, peaceful and tranquil. They're like, why why are we even fighting, man? You know? Gotcha. Can't they just leave it there? Like, no. And then they could just stop fighting? There's that. <laughs> that <laughs> That's would be the, the obvious like, solution to <laughs> how me. How about we all take it and stop fighting? <laughs> Like, why do we even have war, man? <laughs> uh, the urinalysis guy is using every test in their power to nail Pemulus. We were told last episode or so that Pemulus pulled something to get the test postponed, and here we get the details. He brings up the possibility of false positives, of secondhand smoke, that there's a lady from Moments Magazine on campus, and it'd be a terrible time to embarrass the school with something like this. So basically, Pemulus is trying to get them, like, just give us 30 days, just give us 30 days. However, his personal drugs are the stuff that's out of your system. The 30 days is for his buddy, Hal. So they're all in trouble together, but only one of them is really getting the hammer thrown at him. Okay. But Hal's going to get snapped up in this, too. And Hal is like the son of the founder. His mother is still like the president of the entire place. So pretty much he gets ensnared. It fucks up everything for the whole school. Got it. Um, Hal isn't the one they want, but because they brought in... Uh, federal drug testers they'd have no choice but to expel Hal this would ruin everyone's thing there's also a whole thing they have in here where their mom has like a pathologic inability to believe that her children would lie to her uh, to the extent okay. that we see one of her sons accidentally drove away in her car while her dog was tied to the bumper and yes that's just nah. <laughs> so pretty much drag the dog to a nub and then <gasps> oh my god when the mother was weeping, like, how did this happen? He, he literally says, makes up some bullshit line and just says, like, and I don't have any other explanation for this. And the mother, just like in her head, is just like some weird thing, as opposed to the much more clear, like, obviously my son is lying to me to get out of trouble. So for something like this, like if he's gone this far to lie to his mother and then, you know fucking drug tests like she can't ignore that right um so yeah so now he has this high pressure end of the series like he has a big tournament the whataburger tournament coming and finals and all these stressful life life events that he's gotten high to endure in the first place that he'll now have to do stone sober in the throes of withdrawal uh, he gets pissed at his brother, telling him to act like a fucking human for once. Because there's this thing in his family where they tend to have two different conversations at the same time. Okay. And his brother's just like, I think you're doing it okay. Uh, there's a fun little line in here where he's trying to figure out, like, you can't use the urine and Visine bottles because the man will be right there looking at your penises. And Trevor and Pemulus's penises. Like, he's a simple kid. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, he asked Mario what he should do, and Mario says, I think you just did, leaving Hal perplexed, which I guess they're intimating, like, just tell mom all of this now. Okay. Um, I, of course, have the story of once giving my mother clean urine to pass a drug test. A classic. A classic, because I love my mommy. And, uh, yeah, she needed to pass a drug test, and I was the only one in the family with clean urine. Yeah, that, I mean, that does not surprise me. Yeah, no. There was also, uh, all right, I just want to put it in there. Did I tell you when my mom was dosed with a pot brownie? At school, right? At school, yeah. yeah. Some fucking, my mom works at a school, and some kid made pot brownies and was giving them out to people. Uh, somebody noticed and called her down to the principal's office, and while she was in the principal's office, she's like, hey, Mrs. Dram." You want a brownie? And my mommy has a sweet tooth. So she just took it. So that fucking kid, like, you're already in trouble. Yeah, like, you're really sealing your fate there. Maybe the kids think, maybe the kid was planning to give it to the principal, too. And much like the DMZ, they were going to be like, why do we even have expulsion, man? It's like, it's like that Barney Miller episode. I, enlighten me. Oh, God. Um, I guess that's like a 70s show. Okay. Uh, but it's... it's oh, a sh- the, the Purple Dinosaur, Barney Miller, yeah. and uh, Private Dick. Um, no, yeah, it's a show about cops, and uh, it's a pretty funny episode where the they uh, they confiscate pot brownies from someone. I don't remember the, the whole premise, but then they all end up eating the pot brownies, not realizing they're pot brownies, so they spend the entire episode high, and, it's, and they're like these very, like, you know, they're cops, so they're, like, very uppity, and it's just... It was, it's pretty hilarious. I'll try to find it for you. I can't wait to watch it's that. It's a good one. So I'll, I'll also, we already mentioned my buddy Joey, but uh, his dad was a very hard-nosed Philly cop, which was pretty great because he, he would get drunk and just yell at us about how we were like pussies, basically. Like, wait, that's funny. Does, does he know Joey's such a, such a... Oh, well, that, that, that's what we're going to get into. Oh. Well, now his dad was in, he would always tell the story, his dad was in the sex crimes division. So, and there was a story he told, like, yeah, I was in there with some, uh, it wasn't a lady, but he was dressed like a lady. And she said, you got to make out with me first to prove you're not a cop. So I had to make out with her before I arrested her. And oh, God, I think I've heard this story, too. <laughs> but the other one, uh, he's he's long past now. Rest in peace, Mr. Griffo. But, like, within the last four years of his life, he knew his son was... Uh, he also just yelled at us for being soft kids. Like, I remember you, I was your age. I went to the police academy. Guess what? If you were there with me, you would have washed the fuck out. I, went, I started on a Monday. By Friday, I was leaning out of my car with a shotgun blasting at somebody. Which, oh when you look back at Philly cops at that time and Mayor Frank Rizzo and the move bombings, not a great look. But in, like, the last few years of his life, finally just wanted he went to his son, like, all right, Joey, let's try some of this pot shit. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And he got his dad really high, and there are photos of him just dancing. Oh, my God. Just, like, grabbing his wife, like, put down a cocktail and dance with me, Patty. <laughs> Joe! Joe, you're fucked up! I know, but it feels good. <laughs> and that was the only time he smoked weed. Ever. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Well, at least he enjoyed it, and at least he got high. Exactly. Because, you know, a lot of times people don't even get high. Everyone should get high at some point. Agreed. All right. Footnote 321. We see Pemulus, Hal's friend, fully alert and highly functional. He's attempting to teach Hal trigonometry. Um, 
Hal is telling him that he's having DMZ dreams. Uh, Hal dreamed he was the soldier. So when we first hear about DMZ, we hear about the soldier they tested it on who like went mad and his brain just drifted away. So it's more than just acid. Like this ruins people mm-hmm. to the extent that like the stash that Michael Pemulus found was like an old stash from the set. It would be like finding quaaludes if quaaludes like major brain rot into happiness. Which um, uh, arguably does. Yeah. In the dream and the story, the soldier was singing Ethel Merman's No Business Like Show Business. In Hal's dream, he is that soldier screaming for health, help. Yet no matter how much he screams, Ethel Merman is the only thing that comes out. This goes into very early in the book where like, he feels like he... The very beginning of the book is chronologically the end of the book. And he's in a room and like pretty much dissociating... And to him, he's having, like, lucid conversation. But to everyone else, he's just making, like, these horrible, like, animal-type sounds. So there's this whole thing of not being understood, which is, uh, bless you. Thank you. It annoys me here. Pemulus dismisses this at a standard nobody-misunderstands-me dream, which is what I said about the beginning of this book. Like, oh, so super fucking smart, but the world can't understand and get around it. And at the time, people were like, no, 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 it it makes sense in the context of the book. And it does make sense in the context of the book, but at the same time, it is whiny, like, the world can't appreciate my greatness. They don't understand that I'm a genius. Yeah, white men have that problem a lot, huh? White men do, you know, what white man has that problem? Guess what? You can't see in a non-visual medium. What has two thumbs and you're listening to in a non-visual medium? This This guy. guy. (laughs) I remember my girlfriend's stepdad did that joke when I was like 15. He's like, who has two thumbs and loves blowjobs? This guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm 15 and I'm trying to fuck your daughter. You probably shouldn't tell me that. You fucked someone before we were together? Just a... Are you fucking kidding me? Just a couple. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know you were unspoilt by the touch of man. When I when I bought you from your father. Wow, none of these senses are, are, <laughs> are even close to the truth. Uh, you saw my dad the day we pro- that you proposed to me, and you didn't say a fucking word to him. I did. Part of me, I, I was very considered like maybe I should tell him. <laughs> and then the other ones like, all right, thanks for the. Wasn't he giving us like food or something? I think he was giving us weed. Yeah, that's right. Thanks for the <laughs> weed, old man. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go propose to your daughter. None of your business. Bye. <laughs> and, th- and then he texted us. Like, Thank you for making my birthday. Like, yes, that's what. That's what I did. I, as I was looking down at that ring, all I was thinking was like, man, David's gonna have the best fucking day because of this. <laughs> Even though it was my birthday, the next day it's all about his birthday. Yeah, that's right. Um, Hal says the dream cr- filled him with a crushing loneliness. To be so terrified and so misunderstood. Um, according to old research by one of their friends, Pemulus says that its original intent of DMZ, uh, it won't turn up in a drug test, and its original intent was to induce transcendence in alcoholics. Um, ba, 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 ba. He also says he should take some DMZ to take the edge off while going without marijuana. Says marijuana would make him fat and lazy. He's seen it a dozen times. And I have a note here that, yeah, I've seen it too much. Uh Marijuana is way too romanticized. What? what do you think of that? 
that marijuana is way too romanticized. Yes. Just because it gets to the point, like, if you have a bad rating, like, well, you haven't. Listen, you just haven't found the right strain. Everybody has a right strain. Also, it cures cancer. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's romanticized. I think there's well the cancer thing is not true. It it helps alleviate the. <laughs> I'm feeding right into this, aren't I? Yes, you are. <laughs> it helps right alleviate the effects of fly. of chemo. Um, I wouldn't say it's. I would say alcohol is romanticized far more than than weed. Look, I didn't ask you to give a perfectly good counter argument <laughs> to what I was saying. I wanted to bash them, goddamn leftists. Like I said before, and they're and they're wacky tabacky, but now you are right. I have uh I have said since if there is one there's two people I blame for really romanticizing bad behavior when I was young. One would be Metallica, who they came around on it because, you know, they got clean or I was waiting for people you know personally. No, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> um I, I wouldn't hang out with dopers. Are you kidding me? No. Uh, one would definitely be Metallica because they were very much the hard rock and party band, but then they cleaned it up. But they did make that like, yeah, I'm going to drink a lot of Jägermeister because I don't fucking know any better and I want to be like my heroes. The other one, though, I will say this. Uh, fuck Dennis Leary for trying to make cigarettes cool. Mm. Like legitimately fuck Dennis Leary. He stole every good joke he ever had from Bill Hicks, which is why as soon as Bill Hicks died, Dennis Leary stopped doing stand up. But he had that whole, he was that initial, like, we're going to smoke it because it's fucking cool and awesome and we're badass. Like, that fucking edgelord white guy 90s shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Who do you think has been a terrible role model to you? Who? Who's been a terrible role model to Here, me? You know I'm actually going to pause for a second because my throat's bad and I need some water. So you think about that question. Okay. All right. And we're back. Bad role models? Um... The entire punk scene. Yep. Punk rock is dumb. Um, Learn to play, losers. Are we referring to just famous role models or real role models? No, it could be it could be anyone around you. I mean, my dad was a bad role model, I would but say, also a good one. I would say, like, my cousin was probably, like, mm. I mean, I loved her and she was cool as shit, um, but she probably wasn't a great role model because she was five years older than me and showing me her, her box of... Her secret stash of cigarettes when I was like 10 and she was 15. So like there was that. And I and then, you know, she got older and showed me her nipple ring. And here we are now where I'm covered in piercings and tattoos and have since taken a lot of piercings out. Um, But yeah, I mean, the punk scene like definitely influenced like my political ideology for a while. But I also think I knew that this was not sustainable as mm-hmm. you know a movement uh i never really bought into the whole anarchist thing but i definitely bought into like in college i was all like oh third party green party kind of thing mm-hmm. uh i mean i was and to be fair i was going to school for political science so and journalism so i think i felt just like very dismayed by the system in general and i have since grown up and become an adult and have learned that oh you cannot fight outside of the system uh, or um, unless you want a civil war i mean you can be a wing within a party i i've been on a real kick this week of just shitting on libertarians too because i'm I'm getting both sides 
But and oh god, I uh, there, there's a group called Podcasts We Listen To that's like made up of podcasters and shit like that, and you can just ask shit into the ether on stuff. And I put like I'm looking for stuff that debunks political theories, specifically libertarianism. But I'll take what you got. And the first few responses I got were all like fucking pissed off libertarians. Like, well, I don't think you can really like debunk something that hasn't been tried at a national level. It's like, don't give me that. Yes, we haven't had a libertarian president, but like. Ronald Reagan had so much of a libertarian philosophy that's been tried and it didn't fucking work. And they still like try so hard. And then you look at the actual libertarian party and they're all like charity will pay for everything. Who will pay for who will pay for the roads where we're going? We don't need roads like, yeah, no, who will actually pay for the roads? (laughs) And it's like some fucking dude with a ponytail and fucked up grill. So, well, that's the thing, too, is I was never so like, like outside on the fringe of like like with politics where you know i i appreciated what the green party was for and Mm -hmm. like as a college student um and also with because i i started going to college uh right before obama became president so i think there was this new like enthusiasm exactly Mm. but I I liked that the Green Party was like, you know, focused more on environmental policies and stuff like that. But like the Democratic Party is starting to do that now. And it, obviously it's more realistic to support Democratic candidates, especially on, um, you know, a national scale. Right. Guys, vote third party in your local election yeah. and support them. All you fucking want. Like, that's a great way. This is a lot of, in the beginning, I apologize to a listener who thought I was being anti-leftist because I was shitting on the guest who bailed on me last week. But I really was trying to make the point that, like, there's a place for these things. And you and I have discussed that's like, if you're only insistent, like, if you're like, Bernie should I'm voting third party or Bernie should have been the goddamn presidential, uh, you know, candidate. But you haven't, like, you know, put anybody up locally that actually had a chance of that. Like, just go fuck yourself. You're you are playing in a sandbox of your own making and adults are grown people are talking, you know, not to mention there's a reason that a lot of these big progressives like AOC and Ilhan Omar, who are there's a reason they're running under the Democratic ticket. Right. And it's because that is the way to make to make yourself known in national politics like you are not going to get there being a a third party um and i just say this understanding how our system works and there aren't enough people in our country calling for abolishment of the system like our little left bubble thinks there are because let's be real the two of us we we do live in a very left bubble and that's why we're Mm -hmm. able to comment on this so much it's also it's also cruel and privileged to say abolish the system when you don't have the next system set up and a lot of people rely on the system exactly like, exactly yeah. you can't just abolishing the system does actually mean ripping healthcare away from people mm-hmm. that's just not the way to get medicare for all there we go all right fuck libertarians fuck the green party continue <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the basic gist here is that Hal is freaking out. How am I going to get by in this month without anything? So 
but his friend is really pushing on him like you know if you go stone cold sober like you have a yearning inside of you that like i think if you go stone sober you're gonna be fucked up like it's gonna ruin part of who you are you should take this high-powered hallucinogen in the meantime oh god while you're while you're getting down from that pot <laughs> you know, while you're allergic to bullets, maybe swallow this nuclear warhead just to get you through. Is this the DMZ? This is the DMZ. Which yes. I keep wanting to call DMT. Also, you ever smoke DMT? It's a podcast. We have to ask that once per podcast. I've not, but okay. I've been around enough people who have. Fucking Joe. No, Rogan asked that on all his podcasts. Does he? Yeah. I told Fuck you, Joe I, Rogan. I've officially turned on him. Too. Thank Fuck fucking God. Now we can actually get married. <laughs> I was never a huge I fan. I know. I know. Um, so, Johnette has worked the rehab and it night shifts five nights straight. Johnette. John, I think it's her last. It's her first name. I don't know. Doesn't matter. She's not important. I can't with these names. It's 8.30 a.m. and someone knocks on the front door. It must be a stranger because everyone knows the door is unlocked at 8 a.m. Uh, despite expecting police who have been hanging around after the gately lens Canuck parking lot fracas, she instead finds a young guy her own age in the whitest Nike high top she's ever seen. As he steps in for a bit, his hair settles, having been held stiff in the cold. Johnette has multiple class anxiety thoughts around a fit, tattooless, night's teeth boy. Oh, fucking horrible line here. They mentioned something. A character, David Crone, walks by crab walking around the house and banging his head on every step walking up the stairs. This is uh, this is dumb. Is this in the rehab? This is in the rehab. There's okay. just a guy walking around and fucking English students everywhere just go, brilliant. Thanks. Stupid. Um, I just can't not picture Linda Blair crab walking down the stairs. It's that, but lame. (laughs) Doesn't he? A guy's coming in like, hi, can I find Narcotics Anonymous? And then there's just like a guy crab walking like, and that's it. Weird. All right. Long story short, it's Hal. He's an edit. He's looking for Substance Anonymous type stuff. So we can just move from there. Um, footnote 324, November 17th, year of the dependent adult undergarment. They name years in this now. Q I roll. Actually, it's really deep. And if you would bother to read the book, you would realize that, uh, David Foster Wallace was a prophet. And have you, have you noticed that there's advertising everywhere now? David Foster Wallace predicted it. Yep. I'm sure he's the only one. A martyr. Of the modern age. November 17th, YDAU. There are certain times of the day when the boys' locker room is empty and one can go in there and take it all in. Meticulously lit, dripping of faucets, the janitor may be napping on a bench that he says does wonders for his spine. Uh, Pemulus, notice, uh, Pemulus is down there preparing to play against Freer later in the day, who's also there, all, along with a weeping, half-naked postal weight who is bent over the bench near naked. He keeps saying nothing's true. Uh, it seems there was some arrangement he had with his dad that if he did such and such and achieved such and such, he'd take him to such and such, probably Disney World, and he's having a meltdown because his dad is backing out. Meh. Wait, can I interject for a second? What's a postal weight? Postal weight is a character. He is a. <laughs> I thought it the way you worded it. I thought it was like. A creature. I, I really can't imagine anything we can add to this because it's not really interesting. So I'm just trying to. Gotcha. I just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, oh, so Pemulus, again, this is Hal's friend, wandered in on uh, Hal's mother, like the president of the place, 
and one of the older boy students in a compromising situation. Ooh. Yeah. So that's also part of the way that he got everything. The urinalysis postponed. He has dirt on her. Gotcha. Um. So pretty much him and his opponent are both fucking with this young kid and telling him, like, dude, get over it. Your dad lies to you. That's what you do. Um, oh, yeah. So the kid who got caught with Hal's mom uh, was looking for something in Pemulus's room. He's the guy who has all the drugs. Well, he found something and took it and then proceeded to hop on the school radio and have a meltdown. So it seems he got into the DMZ and he doesn't take anything. So. Okay. Yeah. Um. Fuck, that actually comes up later. Um, Stice. Oh, yeah, okay, they come in. Uh, Pentulus talks Postulate down that he's not looking at something insignificant, insignificant. It's a big deal to realize your parents are not to be trusted. He tries to express this via mathematics that I personally don't understand, but overall, quote, never trust the father you can't see. I remember a moment with my stepdad where we got in a screaming argument because he maintained that A.D., as in B.C.A.D., stood for before Christ and after death. And then I pointed out, like, what were the years when Christ was alive? That doesn't make sense. A.D. stands for Anno Domini, year of the Lord. And my stepdad said, shut your fucking mouth. You don't know everything. And I was 10. And I realized, oh, my stepdad's an idiot. And he was the first adult. I was like, oh, I'm smarter than an adult. Yep, I remember that one too, and I'm kind of feeling like, have you seen the That 70s Show episode where Don and Eric realize they know all their stories? This feels like that. Oh. <laughs> oh, no. Granted, like, your listeners don't know these stories, but... Dalton Pruitt, you ruined my future marriage. <laughs> she's realizing now she's heard all my stories already. Um, fuck. Sorry. Anyway... We now have uh, Rodney Tyne interrogating Molly Notkin. So this is where we get all the information on the actual film of Infinite Jest. Um, In the film, because this is the friend of the actress who was in it. Okay. She says her friend Joelle, her role is she plays some type of maternal version of death. Sitting naked, pregnant, her face either veiled or blanked out by a hypnotic color pattern. She explains to the viewer into a very specific camera lens that death is always a female and the female is always maternal. The woman oh, who... Sorry. Uh, I'm talking about art woman. If you can wait a second, then you can weigh in on how great it is or is. The woman who kills you is always your next life's mother. She may or may not be holding a knife. The pregnancy was a special effect. Ironically, in relation to the director's suicide, Joelle's mother had also committed suicide several months before the director, also in the kitchen, also with a kitchen appliance, in her case, a garbage disposal. The camera was made with a specific ludicrous lens that the camera laid on the floor, with the death mother leaning over and talking down to it, explaining down that this life cycle is why mothers are so overly loving and attentive to their children. They're apologizing for a murder neither of you remember do you have something to add i mean this this just this sounds like freud freud who has since been debunked for a lot of his theories like the theory that a cigar is just a cigar is never a cigar he just like does it was a kazoo all along oh i just like i have not heard one thing i like about the 
the women characters in his book. All right, listen. On the plus side, everybody's a monster. I will give you that. Okay. Everybody is a dumb, grunting beast. Except for Mario, who looks like a dumb, grunting beast, but is nice. All right. Uh, Notkin says that Joelle had never been a lover of the director, that he suffered impotence. Though she was enmeshed sexually with his son, whom Namkin never met, and Joelle was sure to never speak ill of. Joelle was not president for uh, the director's suicide or funeral, as her passport had expired, and she was not there for his will reading, despite being a beneficiary. Um, never spoken to Notkin anything of where a cartridge might be. They're all looking for the cartridge, which is like the VHS, the DVD, whatever. It's been hinted that it's been buried with the director. Gotcha. It's under the cabin. Yes. Uh, at the notion that it could be, she laughs at the notion it could be lethal or anything else than a cry from a man who'd been close with his own mother at the end of his existential rope. If anything, he probably destroyed the master as he'd done with the previous ones. He attempted to make this film a few times. She mentions he was buried in Quebec and specifically interred, not cremated. Asks, why are you asking me and not the director's widow, who'd be far more likely to know the answers to these things? She doesn't believe the widow, Avril, would have anything to do with anti-ONA and terror cells. Doubts she'd have any interest in anything beyond calming her own neuroses. Joelle had told her the woman had come across as death herself and noted the irony that the director continued to cast Joelle as the feminine representation as death when he was married to the genuine article. Referred to her as a real restaurant silencer type beauty in her late 40s. It had been Joelle's condition to, uh, that the director abstained from alcohol during this filming with what turned to be his final film and he kept up his end of the deal. The film had been the first after her recent disfigurement and after the director's son had abandoned her. Oren had left her not due to the disfigurement, but because he was convinced she'd had an affair with his father. The director stayed sober from the filming to his suicide roughly three months. The director killed himself by sticking his head in a microwave and turning it on. And everyone's discussed a few times, like, why? Also, how? He broke a hole in the glass of the microwave, put on an aluminum foil necklace to vacuum seal... Stuck his head in and turned it on. Um, I mean, it really just sounds like he's doing a, a, a more complicated, dumber version of Sylvia Plath. That would be the modern version, I guess. Yeah, but Sylvia, yeah, <laughs> your head out of the guys. Look up the album Hospice by the Antlers. There's a great song in there called Sylvia about Sylvia Plath. But at least you could turn on an oven without. Like, like the fact he had to break, like break the device to use it. Like, he's somebody who was very fascinated with technology, so mm. it's not entirely out of his character. It also did lead to the great. Uh, his son was like eleven or twelve, and he was the one who found him. And he's had real oh, conflicting God. feelings that he first walked in the house, and the first thing he thought was something smells delicious. Oh God. <laughs> um. Molly blames Joelle's drug use on a deep-seated guilt for the director's suicide, a need to punish herself. She did not believe his suicide had anything to do with the film they were making. Molly says it's not improbable. That, so the guy had been sober for months, but then when he was suicided, they found a bottle of open wild turkey. Suicided. Suicided. Uh, it's not improbable that the wild turkey was planted by his widow, Avril, who may have been enraged that the director would never quit for his wife, but did for his muse. That Joelle's disfigurement occurred the same Thanksgiving as her mother's suicide was true and no ruse. 
and that the auteur more likely killed himself because his wife was sleeping with everyone, even possibly likely his son when he was a child. So there's a lot of weird incest shit happening here. It's been hinted at. This is the first explicit that this family might be incestuous and this mother who loves her children too much may have actually been fucking one of her own sons. And that's one of the theories why the director killed himself. Yeah, you're you're really making my my theory. If you read it, you would understand that there are no good female characters in this. He is a modern genius destroyed by modernity. <laughs> modernity. He was destroyed by them, Perry. Oh, also, God. you say Avril, and I just see Levine. <laughs> she took one look at. <laughs> She, she just looked at her son in the playpen and said, hey, son, what you yelling for? That's funny because I was going to I was going to do. Come he, fuck me in your dad's car. Sorry. I was thinking he was a skater boy. Ah, there's no skaters in this. I don't think there's any. Right. So she said, see you later, boy. That's right. She said, see you later, boy. Go stick your head in a microwave. I, I, I'm going <laughs> oh to fuck our son. And they will <laughs> oh, God. Um, so this character's disfigurement occurred the same Thanksgiving as her mother's suicide. Uh, Joelle's relationship with her father was of closeness and watching films together. Oh, God. All right. So this character, who is the star of the movie, has a weird relationship with her own father. She also wears a veil all the time, and we don't know why, and now we find out why. There's, uh, in this world, a lot of people wear veils because there's a lot of like toxic deformities. Oh, so it's not like the whole death because doesn't the death woman wear a veil too? Yes, but it's incidental that she's wearing a veil. Gotcha. This this person always wears a veil. Uh, relationship with her father of watching films together mirrored the father's own relationship with his mother. His mother was a her mother her mother was agoraphobic and stayed home. As Joelle got older and blossomed, her father treated her more as a child than ever, in a strange refusal to acknowledge her adulthood. Her mother started talking to her completely. It wasn't until she got away to college and began dating Oren that she pieced together how strange and creepy her father's attention was. That Thanksgiving, she brought Oren home to Kentucky. He witnessed the mother's lack of anything and her father's bizarre fascination and infantilization of her. He not only had a fit when she removed stuffed animals on her bed to make room for Oren, but he even cut her turkey meat at the kitchen table. Joelle finally spoke up and the father confessed. He was in love with his daughter. Romantic love. He'd never touch her or ogle her, but that's what it was. And when she became sexually mature, it tormented him so he regressed her in his mind to avoid the thought. Joelle's mother exploded, smashing her plate at the floor, announcing that her and her husband hadn't had sex as man and wife once since Joelle first menstruated. That she'd pushed this creepy thought out of her head for years as her own father had molested her and her sister, only to marry a man who wanted to do the same. She ran to the basement, chased by the father and Orin and Joelle, where the mother threw acid at the father. The father ducked, Oren ducked, Joelle did not duck, and took the acid face on. She refused to press charges, and her mother was released from custody. She went home and stuffed one arm and then the other down the garbage disposal and bled out. Uh, random but note. Joelle did? Jo- uh, no, Joelle's mother. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Joelle's the star of the thing. She's, friend- she's right. the girlfriend of the director's son. Uh... And her own parents have the, her father's right. weirdly obsessed yeah. with her. And then when it's revealed that it's because he's in love with her, her mother throws acid at him and misses. Right. No, I got all that. Her. So, yeah, what do you think of all that? I mean, 
about five different faces of cringe came up for me. <laughs> um, I mean, that's super creepy. All of it. Um, I'm wondering like what not having read all of this, like what was what do you think the end game is to for this? Uh, the, uh, the end game is we're dealing. There's a lot of sins of the father all over this book. Okay. And uh, it, it, yeah, if and I would say the main thing is uh, creepy attachment. So the father's a bigger part of this book. Fathers in general are a very big part of this book. Like the the okay. specter, the specter of the father who killed himself is all over everything, which is also hysterical. I use that word because there's only like. 150 pages left but apparently the father comes back in spirit as like a fucking ring wraith okay but uh yeah so that is a theme throughout the book and it's all for her in particular it was uh her boyfriend Oren had his own terrible relationship with his father so it's kind of like it's all just a bunch of broken toys and damaged puppets just like colliding with each other and trying to have healthy relationships somehow and of course failing because of their backgrounds Right. I mean, it's certainly disturbing. I don't know that I can really comment on it too much without understanding the bigger picture of Mm -hmm. the book. But I mean, like, like there's definitely like a morbid curiosity involved in this. You should totally read Infinite Jazz. All right. I don't think it'll change your life. I read Flowers in the Attic. You should start that was a enough. About it. <laughs> uh, competing podcast. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. Anything else? Uh, I did. I forget though. Oh, here I'll pause for a second. See if you can grab it. Oh no! I minimized. <laughs> okay. Jesus, <though. laughs> All right. Footnote three three two. Delint is speaking with Pemulus about John Wayne's meltdown. Uh, Delint is one of like the authority figures. There, John so- Wayne. Yeah, there's a, there's a thing in there. Okay. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. It's dumb, but it's explained. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Wayne, while going through Pemmy's things, had taken some drugs and lost it. Um, Trolsch, Trolsch is a character who's there who's, like, so bad at tennis that he's pretty much just preparing for a broadcasting career. So he runs, like, you know, the school thing, whatever. Well, Wayne comes in freaking out and just shoved his ass out of the seat and started ranting uh, nobody intervened. They noticed this was so unwayne as he was very typically reserved, but he was speaking as if Trollsh were his only audience. Delint seems to think Pemulus is full of shit, and he is. It seems Wayne got into the DMZ. Wayne asked Trollsh to roleplay with him as a girl, and Wayne as CT, uh, one of the deans. Wayne proceeded to do an impression of CT and then give his unflattering opinions of everyone at Enfield. Said of, uh, they are uniquely Canadian, non-serious complaints. Um, said of James and Candenza, he was so full of himself he could have shit limbs. That young Hal is addicted to anything that can fit in his mouth. Pemulus tries to squirm out of this, saying he demands to see Avril before this continues. Tex Watson laughs and says, yeah, that's of course one of the Manson murderers. Uh... The dean said to tell you she sends her regards. He doubles down the threat only for Nwangi to respond. She told us you may feel free to yell whatever you like from the hilltop at whatever institution you end up at. He can finish the term if he likes or head out now. Either way, he's done. Pemulus takes a beat and asks, So, how does this affect my slot in the Whataburger tournaments? 
to the laughs of everyone. So he's basically fucked. Like, he's fucked up so much that uh, even the blackmail he has are just like, dude, you fucked up. No one's going to believe you. Fuck off. You're done. So as you're reading this, uh, I will say for some reason, I'm getting very, like, strong Jonathan Franzen vibes. Oh. and Please elaborate. Um, well, I feel like a lot of, I mean, and granted it's been years since I've read Jonathan Franzen, um, but I feel like a lot of his, his themes are centered around like, um, like fam, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Jesus. I can't even think of the word. Um, like family issues, but like, I can't think of, uh, um, Whatever that word is just escaping me right now. Are you thinking of Family Ties, starring Michael yes. J. Fox as Alex P. Keaton? That's actually what I was thinking. Um, no, but uh, Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole. Li- Wait, what was the line that leads to the Michael J. Fox was Alex, Alex P. P. Keaton. Keaton. Um, it was on the boardwalk where we were meeting. Like I know that's not the line. Yeah, I think it, I don't remember. Go listen to LFO, everybody. Did you know? I don't know if people follow up on this. The boy band LFO. Do you know two thirds of LFO are fucking dead now? Light funky ones, indeed. Yeah, it's horrible. But anyway, so Jonathan Franz and there's a lot of um, uh, which hey, you know what? It's kind of it tie guys. I talk about how David Foster Wallace and this book is new metal all the time. I'm wrong. Infinite Jest is LFO because if anything about this book, it's people who fell in love with the girl on TV. And clearly DMZ is Shooby Doo Wop and Scooby Snacks. He met a fly girl in a veil and he can't relax. And now he's stuck looking her at a screen forever. Guys, LFO were prophets of the modern age, destroyed by modernity, much like David Foster Wallace himself. Go listen to LFO. I am so delighted with myself for that. My dear, continue. Should I keep on this Jonathan Franzen? Or you could just Thanks. talk about LFO. No, talk about. Um, <laughs> no, there's a lot of uh, like weird family dynamics within it, and um, like a lot of inappropriate relationships and attachments, and um, yeah, there's just like a lot of weird shit in it. And I just like I don't know. Like I said, it had been year. It's been probably it's been well over a decade since I've read any of it, but it just has that same like, eh, like cringy like family like. Being a little too close to each other and being a little too sexual. And that's like prevalent throughout at least all of the books of his I've read. Okay. Um, but it's, it's definitely. Yeah, I like I have to wonder if there was like some sort of influence there. Well, they were uh, friends with each other, actually. Franz and David Foster Wallace. Well, there you I mean, go. That's why I didn't add anything there. But yeah. Okay. Might be worthwhile doing a book of that of his for the podcast too. I'd be down for that. I I know he's a little. I talked. To, I talked. To, I won't out who because I don't know who likes Jonathan Franzen. But there was somebody I had on the podcast recently who flat out said like, "Oh yeah, Franzen's a fucking joke. We make fun of him all the time." So not a hundred percent respected. I will say though, having read uh, a couple of pages of Infinite Jest, uh, maybe about a hundred or so. Um, it's a lot easier. They're a lot easier to read. Oh, Franzen? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I honestly would not be opposed to, like, if I only, if I gave you, like, only read these pages of Infinite Jest. Like, I think you, I could actually, like, 
set up like how Topher Grace did like one three hour uh, cut of the three Star Wars prequels, and apparently it's great. I accept there's a book somewhere in there that I would enjoy reading, or at least like, yeah, like wouldn't be as abhorrent. There you go. All right, let's wrap this up with our last section. Hal is on his way to his first Narcotics Anonymous meeting. He is planning on using the fake name Mike. Pause. The word I was thinking, dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. Dysfunctional family. I knew I'd get there. I'm sorry. Continue. I had to get that out. LFO have a song called dis-funk-chinal? I think we all know that you're the LFO fangirl in this household, so you would know better than me. Uh, Iggy the Rabbit is all about the light funky ones. <laughs> That's where I learned this shit. Because if anybody knows about hippin' and hoppin', it's a literal bunny rabbit. It's true. Iggy is the logo. Guys, look at your phone right now, and uh, if you take a look at that little bunny there chomping down on Infinite Jest, that's my buddy Iggy. He's he's such a good boy, and I love him, and he's going to live forever. That's right. Page 795. Uh, how about that? Um, at the Narcotics Anonymous meeting, he finds a strange building devoid of humans, finally finds a meeting already underway, nine or ten males, all bearded, all the men are holding stuffed bears. He listens to a man named Kevin express his inner infant as all the other men assure him he is being heard. This is nothing like Hal anticipated. He's jolted by the revelation that Kevin is reliving his childhood trauma of both parents being killed in an accident and feeling all alone in the world. Hal suddenly realizes, holy shit, this is Kevin Bain, brother of Marlon Bain, Oren's former doubles partner and best friend who spent a lot of time around the family. Hal looks for an exit as he realizes, this is no NA meeting. It's a men getting in touch with their feelings meeting. Kevin repeats out loud, please, mommy and daddy, come and love me, please, while weeping. So I have a confession here. Not long before I met you, I went to a meeting because I told you how uh, when I got when I was single, I could get very, very down on myself and kind of spiral. And you cried for your mommy to love you. And I cried for my mommy to love me. I had reached I had looked up this concept that was uh, children of adult children. And pretty much it's these people who really struggle with like they had irresponsible parents who weren't quite pretty much didn't mold them right. And they have support groups. And I actually, on a whim, went to one of these fucking meetings. It was so goddamn weird. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And I had one guy's number in my phone for a while. He's like, oh, just keep coming back, buddy. Like, I don't know if this place for me, but this is, this is wild. Yeah, I think we both had different experiences of of irresponsible or not even irresponsible but just like very in this it was very specifically like the child of adult alcoholics okay well because what i was gonna say is like i think we both experienced having irresponsible or like emotionally like like immature parents um but i i think there's a difference between that and like we got everything we needed growing up you know what I mean? I think we were both deal. We both we weren't left wanting. Right. We both had parents who loved us and supported us mm-hmm. in whatever way they felt was best. And and then there's there's this where it's right. just like, well, this is definitely over the top. I think this is supposed to be more a parody of like those men's oh. groups of the '90s. And I don't even mean this. I mean oh. like going to like a group 
right, like right. that. There's just like I, the the people who needed to work to support their family right. type of shit. Yeah, I think I went to that meeting. Like I said, I would have like those depression spirals of like unworthiness right. when I was you know really lonely. And I consider as I was reading more of it, like adult children, it's like there is a certain amount of like it's almost like the panic of instability that kind of happens with like real addict parents. So it was my point is I was right. trying to address that part of myself and figure out if this was this and it wasn't quite but I had the experience. Well, and you definitely like hit what I was trying to say where it's like we both had stability growing up. It was a little wonkier for me. I mean, you know, my dad did once call me in the middle of the night saying he was going to come kill me. And then my grandmother sat on the front porch with a knife. Do you remember that story? Yeah, I do. But I'm thinking like I'm thinking your mom, like more so where like you always knew your mom was going to be there for you. You always knew that she was supporting you, at least from what I understand. Like Uh, it was Here's the thing. It wasn't that that stability was going to go away. It was that things were blatantly wrong and not being addressed. Right. Her and Kenny fought a lot. Oh, for sure. Like most on a good day, he'd be passed out on the living room floor at seven o'clock. Right. Well, and I don't for some I, I just like don't even process Kenny because like you never met him. I never met him. I I hear stories about him, but a lot of them are stories wow. where he's not living there. Right. For for the listener, uh, me and Perry started dating June 30th, 2019, and we had to pull the plug on my stepfather not even eight weeks later, and Perry met my entire family for the first time at my stepfather's funeral. Yep. And she didn't run away screaming. That's why I love her. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, Hal wants to tell the man... That he'd had the opposite of this experience and nothing but love and hugs and kisses and it ain't the miracle cure you think it is. So not only did they not have like they were distant from their father, but their mother was like overwhelming with love to like an insane to the extent like too much, like to the extent that she sounds like she molested the one son. But is that the same mother? It's the same mother, different son. Oh, geez. Yeah, this is this is the youngest son talking. Okay, but uh. Yeah, like had a pathological, like, give an example. My friend, who I'm going to go see later, his father had a very weird relationship, uh, had like a silent mother who like never talked, never said anything. But when he died, the grandmother was long dead. They found journals that this mother had. She would pretty much write down like every coming and going her son had, like what he ate for breakfast. For And he's an adult at this point. Weird. And it's like a weird... Wait, this is... The journals are about him? The journals are about... Like about about your friend? No, the journals are about my friend's father. Gotcha. So this is the generation above. This is... Okay, okay, got it, got it. I'll just say James, so we know who we're talking about. Okay, yeah. James's grandmother had, like, no relationship with her son, but after they were both dead, they found all these journals of him, her marking down, like... What he ate, what he did got at it, a certain got time. Got it, got it. Because I know his dad died too, so I just wanted to make sure right, that's right, right, we were talking about. Okay, sorry. So, weird. I digress. But yeah, so he's pretty much there saying like, you guys are crying about neglect. I had the opposite of neglect and I am still really fucked up. Right. Well, it's the, you know, whatever you were missing, you think would have been the miracle cure to every pain in your life. Uh, the group leader asked Kevin to pick someone out of the group to give him the love and affection his parents did not 
Hal squirms to hide his face and not be chosen. Kevin chooses a man named Jim to come and love him, though Jim doesn't respond. Kevin decides he needs to be proactive and go over and ask Jim to meet his inner infant's emotional needs. He drops to all fours and crawls, bare in hand to Jim, past Hal, begging to be loved and have his needs met. And that's the end of our section. All right. That's very cartoony. That's the uh, a big thing that got me through this book is realizing like this is not supposed to be serious. This is supposed to look ridiculous. A bald bearded man crawling along the floor with a bear in his hand telling another man to please cosplay as my father and love me and let me sit on your knee, daddy. Oh, also like infants can't talk. Yeah. Really <laughs> not an attention to detail there. I mean, you could say children and get the same effect. <laughs> I guess they are children. Not you, but well, yeah, they're inter- the fact infant that they said infant. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Perry, after listening and to me explain infinite jest to you are you gonna are you gonna read infinite jest um probably not that has been our episode for this week thank you as always to my lovely lovely fiance thank you yeah let's do it again pick it up both mics i love you baby i love you too guys seriously keep looking out there i was a miserable fuck and i found what i was looking for and all you have to do is not like infinite jest and the love of your life will fall (laughs) into your lap. It worked for me. There's still a chance for you. Perry, I love you. Uh, Guys, listen to LFO. That's episode 27. (laughs) Bye.